Good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July weekend. It's good to see you all. Um, I don't know if you looked ahead, but if you did, you may know that this week um, I'm speaking on love, so, which is a pretty broad topic. So it got me Googling songs about love. I just wanted to see what people were thinking. And I came across this list. You know I do this sometimes. Of the 20 saddest songs. Just, I was just Googling about love songs. And I got the 20 saddest songs. And it, I know it's an authoritative uh, list because I think the name of the website was Pop Buzz or something like that. <laughs> so I'm wondering, and it skews the last like 15 years or so, I'll just tell you, or 20. It doesn't, it's not going way back. But when you think of the saddest pop song that you've heard, what comes to mind? Throw some out there. Let me hear them. You have to be loud, though, so I can hear you. My heart will go on. My heart will go on. Okay, a little Celine Dion. What's the saddest line from that one, if you don't mind shouting out? You can remember. The what? One less bell to answer. Okay. All right, we'll let, we'll let you off the hook on that. that. That was a surprise question. Go ahead, shout it out. End of the Road, Boys to Men. Yeah, that's a classic. Well, how about another one? These are great. None of them made the list. That's okay. It's Pop Buzz. Don't worry about it. What? Just Walk Away, Renee. Just Walk Away, Renee. Ooh, okay. Uh, any other ones? One is the Loneliest Number. One is the Loneliest Number. <laughs> yes, that's a great one. It says it right in the title. Anything else? Any other ones? I'll give you a couple here. I Will Always Love You. Yes. The Bodyguard. I remember that one. Dolly Parton before. Sorry, sorry. So here's some of the ones that made the list and see if you recognize them. Uh, Someone Like You by Adele. Oh, yeah, a lot of nods. What do you think is the saddest line from that song? Because they give you the saddest, what they think is the saddest line. How about just this? Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. Right? Okay, ooh. Someone went like this. <laughs> All right, how about this one? Uh, Rihanna, stay. You guys know that one? Anyone, the, the saddest lyric there was, funny you're the broken one, but I'm the only one who needed saving. Because when you never see the light, it's hard to know which one of us is caving. Ooh. Uh, Miley Cyrus, Wrecking Ball made the list. <laughs> Don't you ever say I just walked away. I will always want you. That was her Sad line. How about this one? Say something by a great big world. Maybe some of you saw the internet clip of the little boy in the back seat in his car seat crying, listening to the song. And dad's like, do you want me to turn it off? He's like, no. <laughs> um, Drake, Marvin's Room. Anyone know that one? What would the sad line from that be? I like this one. It's, I've been in this club too long. The woman that I would try is happy with a good guy. Oh, deep pain there, Drake. Deep pain. Um, Backstreet Boys, we want to go back to the 90s. Show me the meaning of being lonely. Anyone want to quote the saddest lyric there? Just give it a shot. You have to do the dance moves to remember? Okay. All right, Emily. Is that a challenge? If she actually did, you would get some kind of prize. Do you know what? You can quote it? Okay. And what's in it? All right. Yes. 
That's it. Here's one that I found pretty interesting. Um, Yellow Raincoat by Justin Bieber made the list. Do you guys know this one? Oh, yeah. Someone's like, oh, yeah. And someone's like, no, no. Here's the saddest lyric. I might need this one decoded for me later. Because I put on my raincoat, my yellow raincoat. Baby, it's keeping me dry. I put on my raincoat, my yellow raincoat. You know exactly why. I do not know why. I have no idea. I must be too old. I don't know. I don't know. Is it something about it's a yellow raincoat as opposed to a red or blue raincoat? It's keeping him dry. Isn't that kind of what it's supposed to do? Maybe he should be happy. I don't know. But there's some deep sadness there, I know, because it made the list. So and when you hear song lyrics about love, what impression does it give you of love? That love can be lost, it can be found, it hurts, it ends, it's a little bit cheesy. Do you get the sense, though, that it's a virtue? That it can shape and build you through a series of smaller choices that may go unnoticed as you become a different, better, and more fulfilled person? Is that what you get? Is that what you get from I put on my raincoat, my yellow raincoat? You know exactly why. I get a little bit of that, maybe. So today we're going to ask the question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. We're going to see how it lasts, uh, how it builds, how it moves, and how, like the songs say, it's really everything. It really is. We're going to talk about that. I know love is a big topic. We preach on love every week, so we won't definitely hit everything. But today we're going to look at one of the most famous passages. Uh, that's ever been written in any literature about love, certainly in the Bible about love, and I think you'll recognize it, um, but we're going to try and understand it, not just uh, hear it as just beautiful language, oh, how inspiring, but think about why it might actually be inspiring. Before we do, I want to give credit to N.T. Wright and his book, After Belief, which I'm borrowing from liberally. I don't even know everything in here that's his and not mine, so if there's an idea that strikes you as helpful, Give him the credit. If there's something that isn't, it's probably what I added. So uh, that being said, credit where credit is due. So let's read this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. You might know this. If I speak in tongues, or if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, if you've been around for a minute and ever been to more than, say, I don't know, three weddings, you've probably heard this read at a wedding. And it it makes sense, right? There's this great line in there, love never fails. And if you're at a wedding, particularly if you're getting married, that's something you want to hear, isn't it? Because as doe-eyed as you may be, there's a part of you that knows it's not always going to be easy, and you want to hear that the love you have for your partner is going to last, that it won't, in the end, fail. So it makes sense. But I wonder if what sometimes might be missed is the reason that love never fails. And if we take time to consider that this might not just be beautiful poetry, but it might also have something to say about why love never fails that isn't just operatic, but is very practical and very thoughtful. So that's what we're going to look at today. Why is it that love never fails? And the first I'll give you is this reason, that love is a permanent taste of the future. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul writes this. He writes, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see his reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Now, one of the things I think that we see here is that um, Paul is telling us that God is shaping things to an ideal end. He mentions this idea of when completeness comes. Sometimes this is translated when perfection comes. When what God is doing to renew all of creation is complete, is fully realized, when heaven comes to join with earth, things are going to change. And this word that Paul uses uh, to describe completeness or perfection is teleos, which a Greek word, which is very close to another Greek word called telos, they're the same word used in different forms, which is the word that ancient philosophers would use to describe the ultimate aim of humanity, human flourishing, When you become a person that is all a human being could be, you reach this telos. It's what you're aiming for. It's what, if you develop virtues in your life, you hope they produce this. Um, A way to think of it, there's two aspects to it. One is this idea of finally reaching the goal, as if uh, you had a cup that after a long time, finally, uh, what was filling the cup reached the very edge of the brim. Or it also has this idea of maturing. So when you reach the point, you know, you hear Paul saying, uh, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child, but I put those ways behind me. It's an indicator of this other meaning that is a part of this telos of where things are going, human ultimate 
flourishing. And Paul's using this word to describe a future, a renewed world, an existence that God is working towards. But he says that when it comes, it's not going to be a time where he reboots everything. It's going to be something that begins today and continues into the future. It may happen in a new way, but God's not going to start everything over. The thought here is that we can have tastes of this now and build towards it today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. This is a fun thing for me because one of the things I love most in the life is small versions of much larger things. So we're talking about weddings here because we're doing the love passage. My favorite part of the wedding reception is the appetizers. <laughs> when people come around with miniature versions of things that are usually much bigger. I love holding in my fingers something that usually takes my whole hand to hold. I love mini eclairs. I love little tiny pigs in a blanket. I like the mini bruschetta. <laughs> I like when they take a whole quiche, which is usually a big pie, and they shrink it down into something I can put on my finger and pop in my mouth. I love that. And so a similar thing is happening here. The po- one of the points that Paul is trying to make is, look, you can experience this telos, teleos that's coming, this ultimate flourishing where heaven joins with earth. You can taste that now. And a lot of things that are listed are sort of foretaste of what that could be. So he talks about crazy things like prophecy, speaking in other tongues. He talks about having knowledge of things that you shouldn't accept. The Holy Spirit reveals it to you. And he also talks about love. Now here's the interesting thing. Most of those tastes are encouragements towards what's coming, but not necessarily a part of what will be. So certain things, prophecy, Um, speaking in these other tongues, these words of knowledge, they're going to stop. Because those are things that give us a peek into what will be. But once we're there, we don't need them anymore. Because we'll be seeing face-to-face. We'll be experiencing this reality in its fullness. But there are some things that won't pass away. And one of those things we see in this passage is love. Love is different. Love, love, love is the language that they speak in God's world. It will remain. And what we are is summoned to learn that language now, to speak that language here looking forward to or sort of against the day that God's world and our world will be brought together. I like the way N.T. Wright put it. He says, love is the music they make in God's courts, and we're invited to learn and practice it in advance. And in this sense, love isn't our duty. It's not even our highest duty. It becomes our destiny. It will remain. And so part of of the life of the future world breaking into this present world, a part that will last and a part that is permanent, that won't fade, 
that is more than just a taste because it's part of a future reality is love. And I think that's why it's both hard and glorious work. And why in this series we're describing love as a virtue. Love's a virtue. I think that's the second thing we can pick up from this passage. We talked about virtue last week, and this is what we meant. Virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically without thinking. It's just who you are. It's your second nature. And I think we can see this in this passage by the way that love is described. So in verse 4, it says, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. None of those things that love is described as is easy to do. Few of them just happen naturally. There are things we have to choose, often to our apparent loss. It feels like we're losing to do those things. It feels like a sacrifice, and sometimes it really is. Love's a virtue. It's something that builds over time, that develops in you. This is why it doesn't fail. It's a language to be learned. It's a musical instrument to be practiced. It's a mountain to be climbed that's steep and tricky, and the paths are rocky, but that has the most amazing view at the top. And if you notice, all of these attributes, characteristics of love, they ask for sacrifice from the person who loves, and none of them can be done alone. And none of them are easy. Maybe you don't want me to speak at your wedding. (laughs) So why would we choose to love, and how could it ever become second nature? Well, I think one thing that can be helpful is a really healthy, big dose of the future. I think that can really help. You see, love, I think, is an experienced motivation to love others, something that happens to us first, usually. There's another biblical author named John who described it this way. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He gets to what we ought to do to love people, but he starts with what Jesus has done for us as the background, as the foundation for loving other people. And experiencing an ultimate love can make a really big difference. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't relate to God in a particular way, or if you don't connect to Jesus in a particular way that you can't be a loving person. I'm certainly not saying that. I know lots of people 
who wouldn't claim any particular connection to Jesus, who are very loving people. But I am saying that we have an opportunity to connect profoundly to a deep sense of acceptance, not just from ourselves or from a parent or from a lover, but from the ultimate definer, if you will, of reality, your creator, the one who made you. And the thought is, if we experience love from that source, how could we not also be motivated to share that compassion with the people and situations around us? I think that's what we see in this verse written by John. And it's this sacrificial action that is put forward as the motivation for our own acts of love. It just kind of makes sense. Another place it says, we love because we were first loved. On some level, you have experienced love, and it gives you an ability to share that with other people. And the deeper we can experience love, the more equipped and motivated we are to share with other people. You know, I have actually spoken on this passage in more than a few weddings. And as time has, I've I've been doing weddings for, you know, about 14, 15 years. And the way people get together has changed a little bit in that time. Um, and somewhere a few years into this, like a lot of people that I was officiating at their wedding had met somehow online and had filled out a profile to sort of explain who they were to prospective companions, right? You know, 20 years ago, that was very weird. Now that is so super normal, right? So I started to notice, like, there is actually a, a personality profile in this passage, because I just, there, there's, it says in another part of scripture, God is love. So at weddings, I started reading this to people. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy, does not boast, he's not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking, he's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the type of love. This is the person that if we can engage with and actually connect to, can transform the way we view ourselves and give us a reservoir of love that we can share with other people. When we experience this person, we experience the language of an age to come. We experience a taste of our ultimate destination, our created purpose. It gives us a place to start, a place to begin to learn a new language because we've heard it spoken to us. It's not the end. It's the beginning It's the start of a long journey. There's still a lot of development that needs to take place. It's hard to believe, for one thing. And there are a thousand small choices to be made over the course of your life to develop the ability to love other people the way that you've experienced love from Jesus. It's a virtue, not a download. You know, one of my favorite movies from the past is a movie called The Matrix. You guys remember that movie? 
The main character is a guy named Neo. Actually, he's kind of a Christ figure. <laughs> if you watch it, new man, Neo. There's way too many parallels. It's like almost too many. And at one point, he's early in his training, and he, he goes into the simulation, and they plug something in the back of his head, and they download a program to him, right? And what happens? He's like, I know Kung Fu, right? Remember that scene? That's not how love works. It doesn't work like that. There's no download. You know, love is more like, the, I'm going to date myself here. I remember being a kid watching Michael Jordan play basketball. I remember one game he just, his first time he was shooting a foul shot, he was jawing back and forth with someone who was waiting, hoping for a rebound if he missed, and he closed his eyes, shot a free throw without looking, and it was nothing but net. Why? Because he had shot thousands, maybe millions of free throws in his life. It was second nature to him. He didn't have to look anymore. You can't download a virtue into your life. You can have moments of surprising and miraculous progression. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying there aren't light bulb moments. But in general, virtues are step-by-step, choosing what doesn't feel natural again and again and again until it is, until when you are in a situation All of a sudden, without thinking, you respond with love. You respond with mercy. You respond with one of these fruit of the Spirit that we're looking at each week. You're becoming more like the ultimate goal, which is really represented in who Jesus was and how he's described and how love is described in this passage. But it's a virtue, not a download. And experiencing love though, lets our hearts know that it's worth it. I just want to finish by saying this. The songs are ripe. Love is the meaning of it all. So the first beginning of this passage was, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, If I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, all of the great things that we do in life just tend to turn into manipulation. Ways to prove something to ourselves or other people. Ways to get something that you want. It's not actually about the people that you're, you're doing the thing for. Without love, those great actions become sort of perversely just about you or me if I'm in your situation. But that's not who God is or the language that he speaks. And when we learn his language through action after action of serving others to love them, we reflect who God is his image in us. And we become more and more who we're created to be. We become more and more the person we're being renewed into. More human. Without love, we become less and less human. We lose touch with who we were created to be. But through action after action, we taste the future in a way that lasts. And we can flourish now, not just in this time to come, when and as we love.
The songs are right. All we need is love. That's true. It's the only thing that will last. They just miss the virtue aspect of love. So songs, they talk about finding love as if it's discovery instead of a mountain to climb. They expect the love of another person to fill them when we're much better off looking to fill others from a reservoir within. They understand that love is a treasure, but forget that when it's good, not when it goes wrong, it will cost you everything. Love is a virtue forged through experience and choices and developed over time. That's why love never fails. Now, I've talked a little bit about this idea of experiencing love so that you can share it. Um, We do have things planned today to help with that. But I want to just take a moment and uh, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to take too long, but we're going to take enough time for it to feel awkward, I think. And that's okay. Um, Because there's... There's this element of being able to love because we've experienced acceptance that is a gift. And so I want to give us the opportunity to experience some of that. We'll have some time of quiet. I'll pray for us a little bit. Then later we're going to have a time where you can receive prayer and have people pray for you. That's a great idea too. But let's just start together. I don't have a fancy... Uh, meditation plan today, but more just some time of quiet. So let's pray. Holy Spirit. uh, We welcome you to come. We leave some space now to open our hearts. There's not a person here that doesn't want to experience being loved. So we pray that you would come. And as I pray that as I'm quiet in a moment, you would speak to people in this room in ways that they get it. It could just be a feeling. It could be an image that comes in their minds. It could be a song that speaks something to them. It could be something completely different. You know each one of us intimately. And so as we're quiet, I pray you come and let your love, uh, let it be experienced. Come, Holy Spirit. Since I don't know if the Holy Spirit is in this, but for some of you, the first thing that came to mind uh, was actually a negative experience from your past. Here's what I want you to do. As we're quiet, as we're waiting, in your mind's eye, I want you to look around whatever that experience is and ask Jesus where he is. 
Let's ask him, where are you? And then look. What's he doing? How's he responding? Amen.